The Mishnah continues its discussion of the Chamisha Inuyim, the five ways in which everybody has to afflict themselves on Yom Kippur, and particularly the first of the Chamisha Inuyim, which is eating and drinking. That's considered one category, and the Mishnah is now going to list a few exceptions when one is permitted and perhaps even obligated to eat or drink on Yom Kippur. A pregnant woman who smelt some food and she has a craving to eat a particular food. If she is not given that food to eat, then it could be dangerous both for her and for her child. And so if an Kippur she does have a craving for a particular food, then we feed her until her spirit is recovered, until she fulfills and she loses her craving. The reason being that there is pikuach nefesh involved. There is a slight danger to life, and even for the slightest danger, we override pretty much every Averia in the Torah, except for the three big Averias, but Yom Kippur is not one of them, and therefore she is allowed to eat whatever she likes if it is dangerous. In fact, if we see that it is dangerous for her, then even if she is not willing to eat it, so we force her to eat it, because there is a slight danger involved. Choyle, a ill person, machin isoy al pibakiyin, we feed him only according to experts. Meaning we would go to a doctor, if the doctor says that he needs to eat, and that he is not allowed to fast, then he can eat. The ancient Bikin, but if there are not any experts there, and the way you're going to understand this, the way the Agmar explains, if there are not any experts there who say that he is allowed to eat, then nevertheless, we can still feed him according to his own mouth. Meaning if he says that I am ill and I am not able to fast, then he is allowed to eat until he says enough, then we stop feeding him. The reason being that a person knows himself in general well enough to know whether he needs to fast or not. So even if the experts don't say that he is allowed to eat, he is allowed to eat because he knows himself if he is in major danger. Mishavov, the examples continue. Mishachazoi bulmois, somebody who caught a particular disease known as bulmois, which one gets from being very hungry, and once again there is danger to life involved. And one of the signs that this is considered a very dangerous situation is that he stops to see properly. His vision is affected, and he becomes very weak, so the Mishnah says, Ma'achim lo'isoyafilzvam tameyim. We can feed him even non-kosher food until his eyes light up a bit and we can see that he's already getting better and his vision has improved. Of course, if there is kosher food immediately available, then they should feed him the kosher food. But if it is even slightly quicker to get the non-kosher food, then we would feed him the non-kosher food since it's an emergency and he needs to be fed food as soon as possible. Continues the Mishnah. Somebody who was bitten by a wild dog. So again, there is danger to life involved. One is not allowed to feed this person a part of the dog's liver. This was known as some sort of cure, which wasn't necessarily proven scientifically. However, the doctors of the time did believe that this was a particular cure, and people did customarily use this as a cure. However, since this was not proven, and it wasn't necessarily a correct or reliable cure, so one is not allowed to feed him non-kosher, especially on Yom Kippur, because it is not necessarily considered to be a cure at all. However, Rabbi Yisrael ben Chorosh says that it is permitted, it is considered to be reliable enough to eat it on Yom Kippur and violate the laws of Kashrus, since there is a chance that it will cure him, and there is a danger to life involved, so it is permitted to use that form of curing as well. The Masbin Kharash furthermore said, one who has a concern in his throat, 
he has some sort of disease in his throat. One is allowed to place medicine in his mouth on Shabbos. And in fact, one is even allowed to crush the medicine, even though in general it's forbidden to crush things on Shabbos. It is permitted to do so in this case. Because it involves a slight doubt to one's life. And any time where there is even a doubt as to whether there is a danger to life, one is allowed to override the Shabbos. This is learnt from the fact that the Torah says that you should guard the mitzvahs, and you should live by them. And the Gemara famously learns from here, one is supposed to live by the mitzvahs and not die by the mitzvahs. And therefore, if performing a mitzvah or not performing an avira will lead to one dying, then he should violate that law, as the mission has now given a number of examples. Of course, there are three exceptions, idolatry, murder, and illegal relations, certain illegal relations. But the general rule is that one does not keep the law if it will lead to the loss of a Jewish life. A Jewish life is the most precious thing in the eyes of Hashem. If a building falls onto somebody on Shabbos, and there is now a very large pile of rubble over him. However, there's actually a doubt as to whether he is underneath the building, underneath the rubble, or whether he is not there. Perhaps he managed to escape. Perhaps it didn't fall on him exactly. In short, there is over here a doubt as to whether somebody is under the rubble, and whether he needs saving. Or let's say you knew he was underneath there, but it was a doubt as to whether he was alive or dead. Or, Sofik Nochi, Sofik Israel, if it was a doubt as to whether the person who was underneath the rubble was a non-Jew or a Jew. The halach is the one is only allowed to violate Shabbos in order to save the life of a Jew. Says Mishnah in all these cases, based on the rule which we learned in the previous Mishnah, that we violate pretty much every Avera, even for a doubtful case of Pikuach Nefesh, of danger to life. So in this case as well, Mufakhan Oliver Sagal, they would open up and dig through the rubble, uncovering all the parts of the building in order to reach the, per- the person. Now what happens if as they're uncovering, they reach the person, and he's still half covered in rubble, and they find that he is still alive, they can see he's breathing still. Even if it's clear that he is about to die, or he's only got a little while to live, we still violate Shabbos to save him, Give him a few extra moments of life, Mafakinalov, we continue to open up and clear away the rubble to save the person. However, the Emace, if they can see that he is dead, then they don't continue to uncover the rubble because it is no longer f- permitted to do so because it's no longer a doubt as to whether it's Pukwak Nefesh. You know that it's too late, he's dead, and you uncovering the rubble will not help to save his life. And so in that case, Yanichuhu, you would have to leave him there until Shabbos has gone out, and then you should continue uncovering him and bury him as needed. Mishnachetz, the final two Mishnahs of the Masechta discuss the mitzvah of Teshuvah, the mitzvah of repenting for one's sins on Yom Kippur, and really how one gains atonement for any sin which he performs. Begins the Mishnah, Chatos e Korban Chatos, any Avera for which the punishment for performing that Avera on purpose is kores, so if he performs it by mistake, then he is obligated to bring a korban chatos. As well as that, there is a second category of a korban chatos, known as a korban oilevyoyred, which is offered up only for a number of specific averus, such as eating a korban whilst one is tomei, or entering the Beis Hamidosh whilst he is tomei, or swearing falsely. For one of those averus, he would be liable to bring a korban oilevyoyred, which literally means a korban going up and down. The reason why it is called this is because the korban depends on how wealthy one is. A wealthy person would bring a sheep, a less wealthy person would bring birds as the offering, and if he was even poorer, then he would just bring a flower offering, and it's because there are different levels of what one has to bring, it is known as a korban olivayorid, going up and down. 
be as it may, those are the two types of korban khatos. Number one, an avera for which the punishment for doing it intentionally is kores. So if you do it unintentionally, then you have to bring a korban khatos. And number two, a korban olivyoyed, which is bought for very specific sins, and it depends on how wealthy the person is. Okay, v'oshem vadai. Korban Oshon, which was bought when one sinned, the reason why it's called an Oshon Vadai, which means a definite Korban Oshon, is because there is also an Oshon Toloi, which was bought when one is not sure whether he violated a sin. But here we're talking about an Oshon Vadai, where he is sure that he violated a particular sin, and the Torah lists which particular Averus one needs to bring a Korban Oshon for. One example is if he benefited some- from something which belongs to the Beis Hamikdash, if he benefited from that for his own benefit, then he would have to bring a Korban Oshon. There are other examples as well. As I mean, the Mishnah says that for any Aveira for which one has to bring a Korban Chatos or a Korban Oshom for, once he brings that Korban, Machaprin, the Korbanus atones for that sin, and the full atonement is reached just by that Korban. Now, the condition for this is that he does Teshuvah. As long as he does Teshuvah, and he repents and regrets the sin, and confesses that he sinned, and decides not to do the sin again, if he does real Teshuvah, then the Korbanus atones for his sin. Now, for Averis, for which the punishment is not to bring a korban, so there are other ways in which his sin is atoned for. Number one, Misa, death itself. If one does Teshuvah just before he dies, so the death atones for pretty much every sin. The Yom and Yom Kippur as well. Mechaprin, they atone for the sins. Imat Teshuvah, again, as long as he does Teshuvah. Death actually atones for more than Yom Kippur atones for. For example, if one makes a Chil Hashem, then Yom Kippur and Teshuvah, that is not enough to atone for the sin of Chil Hashem. And only when the person dies, only then, if he does Teshuvah together with the death, only then would he gain an atonement for that severe Avera of Chil Hashem. It says the Mishnah, Teshuvah Mechaperes Alaveris Kalis. Teshuvah alone atones for lighter, less severe Averis, and this refers to Averis for which the Torah did not specify any punishment. If there is no punishment down here in Olam Hazeh, such as Malchus getting lashed, or a Korban, or Misa being killed by Bastin, if the Torah does not specify a punishment for that Averis, that Averis is considered to be less severe, and Teshuvah alone is enough to atone for that. Whether he violated a positive mitzvah or a negative mitzvah. Now the truth is when it comes to mitzvah say positive mitzvahs, to do this, to do that, the Torah never specifies what punishment one gets for not doing that mitzvah. With the exception of two mitzvahs, a Korban Pesach and Bris Milah, where the Torah says that one receives kores if he does not perform those mitzvahs, but all of the other mitzvahs I say would come under the category of lighter, less severe transgressions, since the Torah does not specify the punishment for not doing them. On the other hand, when it comes to negative mitzvahs, mitzvahs leisaseh, so there is a punishment for pretty much every one of those. Most mitzvahs leisaseh, the punishment is malchus, getting lashed, there are only a few averus which the Torah does not specify punishment for, or the one does not receive malchus for. For example, if that avera did not involve an action, the rule is that one does not get lashed for an Avera which does not involve an action. And there are also another few types of Averas for which one wouldn't receive Malchus, and he wouldn't have to bring a Korba, and there wouldn't be another punishment. So for those things, since there is no punishment given down here in this world, that is a sign that Teshuvah alone is enough to atone for that sin. But for more severe sins, one which do have real punishments over here, so if one does Teshuvah, he toiler. The Teshuvah sort of suspends the Avera in the air. Hashem won't punish this person yet, until Yom Kippur comes along and atones for the sin. 
If he doesn't repeat the sin before Yom Kippur, so we see that his repentance and his tshuva was genuine, and it was for real, so then Yom Kippur would atone for that sin together with the repentance. Yom Kippur, of course, of all the days of the year, is considered the biggest day for atonement. For on this day, Hashem will atone for your sins. And it should be noted, actually, that during the times of the Beis HaMikdosh, when there, is this, when there was the Sorila Zazel, which was sent off the cliff, the goat, so even if one did not do Tshuva, Yom Kippur would atone for all of the Jewish people's sins, and that was the great awesome power of the Yom Kippur service, as well as the Sarla Zazel. However, even during the Beis HaMikdosh, when there was all of this, these services, Averis which one transgressed between Odom Lachaviroi, between one man and another, if you harmed anybody else, then even the Sarla Zazel would not atone for that sin, and the next mission will go into more detail about that.